Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And then our second reading is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read from verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, Birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Good evening, my name is Matt Fuller, uh, one of the uh, staff ministers here. Lovely to welcome you if you are new or indeed back from your travels or wherever you may have been or hard working all summer. Good for you. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, we want to thank you and praise you for the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ as uh, he enters into dialogue with those who wanted to oppose him. Uh, we see both the absolute brilliance and coherence of how he viewed the world, which is no surprise to us. He is the living God. So help us uh, as we gather again to listen to him, that you would be at work amongst us. Your spirit would breathe his words freshly to us so that we, like those original crowds, were amazed at what he taught and what it meant for us. Be at work amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, when you're going on holiday somewhere new, of course, it is uh, entirely uh, sensible to do a little bit of research. Uh, But you're going to a new country, new place. Uh, The summer just gone, we had the enormous uh, fun and privilege of going to visit very good friends in Borneo. Uh, island of Borneo and uh, uh, just a terrific time. Now we decided back in December last year uh, 
uh, that we were going to go. And so what we did over Christmas time is went and bought, obviously, the guidebook to uh, Brunei, Borneo, and, and um, Singapore was in there for good measure. But uh, we went and bought this uh, guidebook, uh, The Lonely Planet, with its top five of everything, because no one's able to count to more than five if you read The Lonely Planet. So top five restaurants you must go to, top five uh, superb locations, top five sites, etc., etc. But all those lists. But of course, you read these things and you plan. And you think, ooh, that will be exciting. Ooh, that will be fun. And uh, during the course of the, the, uh, the months leading up to it, we had Skype conversations with our friends out in Brunei uh, who are arranging everything. What will we do? We'll go here and do this and see this monkey and that monkey and that monkey and, you know, ten types of things that if they bite you will kill you. We'll see all of these. And, um, oh, exciting. Uh, but it is. You sort of build up a, a bit of excitement, of course. Of course you do such a thing. Now, Christians are on their way to, as the Bible could it put it, a different country, a heavenly country. And it would be very odd if we didn't take time to look forward to that. You know, there are points last, probably, I don't know, February, when it's cold and dark in the mornings, and you get home and it's cold and dark, and you think, where's that travel book. There we go. That's where I'm going and seeing that thing and it's sunny. Although if you ever go to Borneo, it doesn't. It just rains. That's all it does. It's a rainforest. But you look ahead and you think, that's where I'm going. I'm going to see my mates. It'll be great. The Christian is looking forward to a better country. It would be odd, unwise, foolish, if we didn't look forward and daydream. That'll be great. I'll see this and I'll see them. In fact, it's just essential for Christian living. Sometimes describe ourselves as a church living now for eternity. It's not the best motto in one sense in the world. And yet at the same time, in a city such as ours, which is so obsessed with the here and now, and what you can do now and gain now, just to remind ourselves, you need to know where you're going. Or you'll waste your life if you don't remember where you're heading. Because if you're a Christian, or perhaps if you're not, you'll be tempted. Temptation will come along and say, heaven, load of old rubbish, this, this temptation here, this is exciting, this will fulfill you, this will give you enormous pleasure. And so we just need to look up and say, no, 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 going to be with God in heaven, in a place which is perfect, which cannot spoil which there is no sin, no sickness, no ability to upset others, no ability to be upset, no pain, no, no loneliness. And it'll go on. Okay, I need to think of that more so that I live rightly now. And uh, Matthew 22 is one of those little passages that'll help us do just that. Now, if you are joining us, we're in Matthew's Gospel. We haven't worked all our, well, we have worked all our way through the whole of the book, but over about six years. But uh, we've just returned to the book after quite a long break into this little section, chapters 22, 23. Um, and we'll get to 25 before we stop uh, midway through the term. But these chapters then conflict, conflict. We're in the last week of Jesus' life. And he's running into the establishment. So last week, the issue was... Uh, how does how does a Christian relate to government? How does a believer relate to the government? And it was the sort of middle class uh, people on the make, the Pharisees, uh, religious middle classes. Uh, but they've tag teamed today, and it's the Sadducees, posh ex- um, aristocrat religious people, dominated the uh, the religious council, the Sanhedrin at the time. And they're going to ask Jesus about 
the resurrection. This group didn't believe in resurrection. Unlike the Pharisees, they did. The two rival gangs, they don't like one another very much, Pharisees, Sadducees, but they dislike Jesus even more. So this is the question they're going to ask. And so the heart of the issue in this passage is, is there really a physical, bodily resurrection to come? When they talk about resurrection, they're not just about one individual like a Lazarus who died and came back, but what sometimes gets referred to as the general resurrection, when Jesus Christ returns and everyone who has been a believer throughout the world, throughout all of history, is restored with a new body forever. Just to be clear, the New Testament teach: if you died tonight, I'm sorry, if you died tonight, you would go to be with Jesus, thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. But only in a temporary sense. That's with Jesus in heaven, but that's not where we'll spend eternity, in the new heavens and the new earth. Or we might just simply call it glory. It's just one word, it'll be quicker. That's where we spend eternity forever, with new, restored, physical bodies. And the Sadducees said, nah, nah, nonsense. We don't believe in any of that sort of stuff. Physical bodily resurrection, that's the issue. But people get lots of people still get confused on that today. So uh, in the most recent survey on religious belief, 53% believe of this country, the UK, 53, as it is at the moment before the Scots disappear, 53% I'm not saying I want that. I'm just, I don't. I want everyone to stay together. But anyway, we'll see. Um, 53% believe in life after death. That's interesting. 55% believe in heaven. 70% believe in a human soul that lasts forever. Now, I'm not asking people to be consistent in their thinking, but that's interesting. So 70% of the UK population think the soul lasts in some way, but only 50-odd percent think there's a physical place. All sorts of confusion about what the next life looks like. But Jesus is clear, when he returns, physical, bodily resurrection is what he brings back with him. Let's look at it in these three ways then. The sophisticated Sadducees, they had no resurrection. Jesus contradicts them and says, no, two things. The power of God will bring resurrection and the scriptures promise resurrection. We'll work our way through them. Uh, first then, the sophisticated Sadducees, there's no resurrection, so they say. Verse 23, that same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, Jesus, with a question. Now these guys, you can read more about them in Acts 23, they, they don't believe in resurrection, they don't believe in angels, they don't believe that spirits last forever. They're anti-supernatural religious leaders. There are many of them around today. So in the, certainly in the Church of England, the last time any such survey was done, a third of Anglican ministers don't, don't believe that Jesus bodily rose again. It's a few years ago now, I'm not sure it would have gotten any better. A third of those in Anglican churches in this country don't believe that Jesus bodily rose, just in some nebulous, will-o'-the-wispy sort of way. He rose again in people's hearts. 
And so what you get with these people, and I would suggest similarly today, is it's a religion which is just a sort of moral veneer upon people. There's no supernatural power of God to bring change. He can't save you physically forever. He won't change you dramatically now. It's a weak God that is being offered by the Sadducees and uh, many today. They, uh, these crowd, they're invested then in the world. They're supportive of the Roman occupation. They're wealthy. They're influential. Therefore, they don't want to rock the boat. The religion is just a little moral veneer upon the people. And bells and smells and whistles, etc., etc. That's what they love. This crowd then, they come to Jesus, these sophisticated, anti-supernatural people. They come to Jesus with what they think is a very clever question. Verse 24. Teacher, they said. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now, nudge, nudge, chortle, chortle, what's he going to make of this? (laughs) Because there is no resurrection. (laughs) Now, whose wife will she be of the seven? So it's all of them were married to her. <laughs> what are you going to make of that, Jesus? What sort of, you know, how do you, how do you answer that? Your silly system of bodily resurrection, how does it cope with such a, a sensible question that we've asked? Now, of course, you read something like that and think, this is a pretty unlikely story. Just run with it for a moment. Husband dies, leaves wife. By the culture of the time, yes, brother would marry. Now, If your brother, say, number four, and you've seen three of your brothers die, how are you feeling on your wedding day? (laughs) As a a mate says to you, do you know what? She seems to me a little bit of a femme fatale. In the correct English use of the word, literally, a femme fatale. And you stand there on your wedding day and you say, yes, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, till death us do part. (laughs) It's a silly story they're asking. It's nonsense. But they want to just trap him. This is not a real question. But they are taking something from the scriptures, or the, the principle, Deuteronomy 25. I may have written it down. Here we go. Deuteronomy 25. Moses gave this law. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out. So you see the principle there. You don't want the name of the family to disappear. You want the name of the family to last. Now, it's very unclear if this law was actually still in use uh, at the time when uh, Jesus is walking around, but that's what they're picking up on. But you can see the concern behind it. How does a family raise children if dad is dead? How do we keep going here? And I think if you're a Sadducee and you you believe in no physical afterlife, it's a very normal question to ask because that's very contemporary. Lots of people think, Oh, there's no afterlife to come. But I'll live on in my children. But the family name will last. 
And that's how they justify emotionally the fact that there's nothing to come. So uh, children, uh, children and community, two slightly different ways, but children, Albert Einstein put it this way, our death is not an end if we can live on in our children and the younger generation, for they are us and we are them. Our bodies are only wilted leaves on the tree of life. Seriously? Mate, you're brilliant. You do physics like no one before or after. And that's what you come up with? Our bodies are only wilted leaves on the tree of life. We'll live on. It's just not true, is it? Many years ago, I got into terrible trouble, actually, at my grandmother's uh, funeral. Uh, silly vicar. It was his fault, not mine. I'm sure that's right. Um, but the man at the front... Uh, gave his little homily and said, as we say goodbye to Hazel, we're not really saying goodbye because she'll live on in the memory of her children and grandchildren. And I, as I can't eight year old, I said, well, that's not right, is it? Out loud in front of the whole church. Well, it's not right, is it? She's dead. I mean, we can remember her, but remembering is not living. Those are two very different things. That's twaddle. It might sound nice superficially. It's not true. You don't live on. You're dead. And that was not what you do at a funeral. <laughs> but you don't live on. Uh, my mother has recently uh, managed to put together our family history. It's, it's all very interesting. Fasc- I'm, I'm very fascinating in family history terms. Um, but she's got as far back as the 10th century, which I think is pretty impressive. And I am descended from a Danish Viking called Ufa. <laughs> and I am not surprised, because I've always thought there was just a little bit of Viking in me. <laughs> Ufa doesn't live on. It took my mum about two years to put together the family history on both sides. And now we have a name. Who was he? What was he like? No idea. Obviously not. A bit like that, probably. Uh, But um, other than that, he doesn't live on. He doesn't live on. Be remembered. But even then, not for very long. People think, oh, I'll live on in my... If there's no supernatural, there's no afterlife. People would try and justify it that way. Or relatedly, in in the community, we must build a name for our people, for the community. I remember when I was a school teacher a a number of years ago. One of the schools I taught him was a boys' school in central London. And uh, a third of the pupils, roughly, just under, uh, were Jewish by birth. And so once a year, uh, the chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, came and addressed all these boys. Now, if you, he is a delightful man, personally, enormously warm and friendly and cracks good gags, and there's a lot to be said for that sort of man. Uh, but every year he'd come and uh, address the room, and you think, I always went, just out of interest. I'm basically quite nosy. But I thought, what are you going to say to 300 young men? You're the chief rabbi of the UK. What do you want to say to them? And every year he'd have slightly different stories, one or two new gags, one or two old ones, but hey, he's a preacher, I get that. But um, every year essentially it was the same. Punchline was, boys, marry a Jewish girl. And I always thought it was just quite interesting. You've got all these boys gathered here, 18 down to 13, and that's what you want to say. It's not that inspiring. 
But that's it. You just got to maintain the community. I'm not sure what happens in the afterlife, he thinks. So just the community, maintaining that. That's what you got to do. But if you, if you're a Sadducee, you've got to have something. Because no one thinks that you die and that's it. Even the sort of celebrated atheists, even a Richard Dawkins has got his genome mapped out so he can work out what elements will be and what things he might help grow when he dies. He's got to feel something he contributes back when he's gone. Because no one's happy just for it to be it. But that's the Sadducees. The sophisticated, as they were, anti-supernatural, they had no resurrection. So you've got to try and find meaning elsewhere. Jesus essentially says to them, your thinking is too small. They get to the end then, no doubt chortling and nudgling and laughing to one another. Verse 29, Jesus replied, you're in error. You've strayed from the path, literally. You've strayed away. You're in error. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Two reasons you've made an error. And these are two pretty insulting reasons to say to a professional religious bloke. You don't know your scriptures. You don't know the power of God. Therefore, you've strayed away from what is true. It's quite possible to have presuppositions, to have made up your mind about what is right and what is wrong, to read the scriptures and to just completely miss the point of them. Don't do that, says Jesus. Two errors then. Uh, And then he takes them in turn. So verse 30, the power of God. Verse 31, downwards, the scriptures. So, by contrast, the sophisticated, they had no resurrection, 23 to 28. Second little thing, Jesus says, no, look, the power of God will bring resurrection. Verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. Jesus is saying, it's different. Sadducees, implicit in your question, woman marries seven, which of them will she be with in the afterlife? Implicit in your question is you think the life to come is basically the same as this one. But just with a mild uplift, probably. You think basically the afterlife, it's, well, I've got an iPhone 5, I'll get an iPhone 6. It's a bit better, but essentially does the same thing. A little thinner, a little glossier, but it's... Sadducees, that's how you're accusing me of thinking of the resurrection life. One mild uplift. And Jesus, no, we're not talking about that. In the next life, relationships are very different, and people will be like the angels in heaven. Not will be angels, but be like them. In our pattern of relationships, something very different. Not just a mild uplift, but an enormous change. You might think, going from this, the first home computer of 1979. I love the wheel. (laughs) Where should we go this morning, computer? Look at that. That is, technically, it was deemed the first home computer. You could buy that and have that in your home in 1979. Now that, to uh, you know, a modern phone, now that's an upgrade. This, of course, infinitely more powerful, somewhat more convenient 
to move around and carry with you. That, no, Jesus is saying, we're talking a radical difference. Or the reason we have 1 Corinthians 15 read, as he compares it there, you could take the acorn and compare it to the full-grown oak tree. There is continuity, but radical discontinuity in scale. It's not the same, the seed you plant and the tree that emerges. Yeah, there's continuity, but you see that in Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection, the first fruits, he's the same. He's a man, but he just appears and disappears and goes through walls. It's just different. Goes up to heaven like Neo, you know, you know, that's just different. Continuity, but discontinuity are not just a mild uplift. That's, that's Muslim heaven. You know that, don't you? You know, in, in Islam, you get to heaven, what can you do? You can have a drink. About time too. You know, you're not allowed to in this life, but finally, according to the Quran, you can have a drink when you get there. You can marry multiple times in the Quran, you know, male or female. Then, if you've read the Quran, couches, lots of couches you get to recline on in the life to come. Just full of, I mean, that sort of luxury, I guess, a picture of that. But that is just this life, just with a, a little, whoop, a little mild uplift. Jesus is not talking about that. It's radically different here. Live like the angels. Don't go into detail on that here. But a completely different scale of things. No need for marriage then, because no children needed. Can you live forever? Let me just push uh, briefly on this. Got new bodies and new relationships. So new bodies, as I say, continuity but discontinuity. I'll be me. You'll be you. But different. Like the angels, he says here. Or 1 John 3, verse 2, we will be like Jesus. Perfected. It's one of those funny things. It seems to me only in the Christian faith do we become more after death than we are now. It's amazing. More. Not diminished. Not the same. Not with a little uplift. Radically more. Sown in weakness. Grow in power, as Paul put it, 1 Corinthians 15. C.S. Lewis famously put it this way in uh, his, uh, uh, his essay, The Weight of Glory. Remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you may talk to tonight will one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. God will make the feeblest and the filthiest of us a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love we cannot now imagine. Quite right, according to the New Testament. And so he's saying, be nice to the dull person you meet. Radically different. And yet that really matters. I caught up with a friend of mine this week, uh, his daughter, uh, Gabby, 13 years old. She's severely autistic. Uh, really uh, very hard for her to communicate. Um, she, she gets very nervous in new settings and around new people. She sort of panic and fit uh, violently. Uh, it's very hard for them to go out, restaurants, anything like that. Very hard for them to go on holiday because she's very nervous going to new places. Uh, one, of the, one of the youngest of three children. 
of course, there's a massive impact upon that fa- on their family life. I caught up with this week, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm on uh, Matthew 22 on Sunday night. John, how often do you think of heaven and the new creation every day? Every day. I look at her, and every day I think I want to be there with you. Of course he does. Oh, you know, this really matters. It really matters. New bodies in the world to come. And new relationships. This is the element that Jesus, is, I guess, chooses to stress here because of the question they ask, their silly question. No marriage then. You know, in the, in, throughout the Bible, there's sort of a movement or trajectory. So in the Old Testament, marriage is the norm. To be unmarried is unusual. To have no children is a curse in, in the Old Testament. New Testament, to be married, you'd probably say is the norm. But singleness is great too, and there are real benefits to that. Stressed, particularly Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, in terms of opportunities, in terms of not having the cares of being married. And uh, some people have natural children, and some people have spiritual children, and both are great. The change you get to the New Testament, you get to, to glory, new heavens and the new earth, no marriage, no physical children. But many that we've loved here and now, all elements of that trajectory are true but you've got to know where you're going now I think we can safely assume what Jesus is saying here, no marriage I think we can safely assume we'll still recognise one another when we get there to glory and he said earlier on in in Matthew chapter 8 that we'll sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how can we do that if we don't know who they are and does it make sense or more acutely 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, verse 13 downwards, Paul says to, to the Thessalonians, don't grieve without hope for those who've died, because you'll see them again. So we'll recognize uh, friends and family and the new creation, but there's a difference in how we relate. And I think, I think what Jesus therefore is saying here is, in this life, marriage is a place where often our desire for intimacy is met. And one of the dangers that people feel when unmarried is that they're missing out on intimacy, emotionally, physically, in part. But it seems that what he's stressing here is that in the life to come, there's intimacy, but it's never in marriage between a man and a woman that will have that quality of intimacy with many people. And I guess it's not hard to imagine that. Mum has child number one, loves child number one, may go on to have another four children, loves them all, doesn't say, well, I'm afraid I could only love one, I can't love the others. You can spread the love, as it were. But um, I think he's suggesting here that the, 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 the quality of relationships we have then is great intimacy spread. Friends family, members. Now let me make, just make two tangential comments um, before, uh, before moving on. Look, what is, so what? So what? So what for here and now? Here's just a couple. One, you've got to keep looking forward to this. You've got to keep looking forward because eternity is a long time. If you're married, you do need to know that marriage doesn't last very long. Only for this life. You've got to serve Jesus Christ 
serving him, the people you know through him, who come to know him, that lasts forever. And if you're single, you need to recognize that doesn't last for long. And serving Jesus Christ is the most important thing because what you do in serving him will last forever. And there'll be friends you make, people you encourage in the Christian faith, people you lead to become Christians that you'll be with forever and have a quality of intimacy that surpasses anything we know now. So you've got to keep looking forward. It's one obvious implication. The second will be this. There'll be no loneliness in heaven and there should be, therefore, no loneliness here in the church now. Uh, nationally, 35% of uh, the church in the UK apparently are single. That would be much higher in city centre just by the nature of demographic, lower age group, all, all in all. But 35% nationally across all age groups. Now the church has got to make sure that they have intimate relationships emotionally. And for us here, it's incumbent, particularly upon those of us who are families and couples married, to make sure there's no one lonely, that there's intimate relationships and friendships. And sometimes maybe there's an awkwardness. So I'll just get over that. Uh, you know, when I was a single bloke a few years ago, I never minded if uh, a married couple said, hey, we're going to the cinema, do you want to come? Yeah, I'll be Gooseberry, I don't mind. Because um, I've got nothing to do and I'd much rather be Gooseberry with you. And got to, you know, you're in your 20s and 30s. No one, you know, I take it you're not going to be snogging in the back row. You only do that when you're 12 or things like that. You know, presumably we can all sit together in a row and it won't be awkward. Yeah, okay, great, great, of course I'll come. Yeah, no loneliness. Never be that. Oh, they're tangents, really. But Jesus is saying, Sadducees, you think too small. You think the life to come, you're mocking me, saying the life to come will just be like this one with a bit better. How are you going to work it out? You have no idea. It is radically different. You just don't know the power of God. And secondly, more briefly, the Scriptures promise as well, resurrection, verses 31 and 32. Verse 31, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Because the issue is not really marriage. It's just their silly question. The issue is bodily resurrection. Is that going to happen? Now, Jesus could have gone for a whole number of Old Testament texts, which they really should have known. Isaiah 26, 19 is a good one. Your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who have died in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. The earth will give up her, will give birth to the dead. Or Daniel 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to everlasting contempt. Oh, you know, there's plenty of Old Testament texts that demonstrates there's life to come. But Jesus went, he, you know, he really went for it. Exodus 3, I mean, if you're, if you're a member of the Sanhedrin, if you're an, a, a, a Jewish religious teacher, Exodus, that's your big book. That's the one. Exodus 3, where God calls Moses, it doesn't get bigger than that. That's, you know, your all-time favorite classic text that you want to preach on every week. That one, says Jesus, you know that one, yeah, where, where God says, I am the God of all these people who've been dead for 500 years. He says, I am. He says, present tense. Either they're still living in some sense, or you're calling God a liar, which is that. Over to you. You like your questions. 
Oh. Oh. Yes, oh. You should have known it from the Scriptures. So these sophisticated Sadducees, they had no resurrection, just a little moral veneer, try to find their meaning elsewhere. elsewhere. And Jesus says, you think too small. You're in error. You don't know the power of God. You don't know the Scriptures. But of course, elsewhere, he'd say more starkly, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. I am resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. I can't remember if I told you this before, but uh, a number of years ago when I was training to be a minister at a theological college, I was placed at a church, out at a funeral, and uh, you know, had good days and bad days there. But one day I was involved in helping out at a funeral, and uh, I'd learned my lesson from being a child, so I, was, no, 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 I didn't shout out anymore. But uh, uh, the vicar that day... Um, to my mind, was was a little bit wishy-washy, uh, and so I was sat at the back thinking, this is not a great funeral, he's not very clear, uh, and everyone, you know, looks pretty bored out of their minds, and, you know, it's, this is not going so well. Anyway, he gave his little homily, you know, however it was, Hazel, we'll live on in, and then uh, after, it was that sort of genre of, uh, of fairly bland, trite, inoffensive, and then uh, after that, it was the, uh, the son of the deceased woman got up, and uh, East End lad... And he was a Christian, and I won't repeat everything he said, because I, I, I would describe it, he spoke with a holy profanity uh, to him, some colourful language to make his point. But he stood up and said, well, I have no idea what that bloke just said. I've been a Christian 20 years, I made no, nothing head nor tail of that, that was a load of twaddle, ignore him. This, this is all you need to know, this is my mother's Bible, look at it, it's knackered knackered Bible. Why is it knackered? She read it every day. And if she were here, which she is, but you know, if she were here talking, what she would want said at her funeral is, trust in Jesus Christ. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever dies will live with me forever. That's what you need to know. And if she could talk to us now, she would say, it's bloody brilliant being in heaven. Sorry, I couldn't resist the one. He was somewhat more colourful throughout. <laughs> so, so put your faith in Jesus Christ and you go there and you'll see Ma again and stop you crying. And he walked off. <laughs> now that's, you know, I should get him here every week. That's a great sermon, isn't it? That is a great sermon. You got to know the power of God and the scriptures and both are saying there will be physical, bodily, resurrection and you'll be there and God that matters if you trust that Jesus Christ will take you there let's pray together Our God and Father, we thank you for the boldness, clarity, wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in his teaching. And he knew with great clarity the power of the living God. He knew that though he would go to his death to pay the punishment for our sins, he would rise again by your power. He will return in the future and take all who trust in him to be with him forever forever. 
new bodies, new relationships with him in glory. So keep us looking forward to that day, Father, which will be wonderful and an intimacy which is beyond anything we know now. So we're not distracted here and now. We don't just settle for a feeble religion, little rules, little real knowledge of you. But we trust the scriptures. We trust in your power to do extraordinary things because you are a risen king. Amen.